Holiday Moves podcast, where we share our love for the holidays with you year-round. This is Randy, and I will be talking about the Scottish Highland Festivals. This is Cole, and I'm going to be talking about the month of September and the Roman festival of Ludi Romani. And this is Sydney, and I'll be kicking off the fall with talking about the pumpkin spice latte. Very fun. As always, we begin with our holiday happenings for the week. The only one I can think of was I noticed that Cracker Barrel had their Halloween items out as of last weekend. And Sydney, you, you said you saw uh, fall things? I did. They were very fun. Yep, so not a lot that happening this past week in the end of July, early August. Um, it's sort of, it's, we're coming to the, the end of the big um, back-to-school sales. We had a lot of those going on. Right. I know, last weekend and last week. Uh, but those are sort of fading out now into all the fun autumn seasonal decorations. Yes, in fact, after the podcast, we plan to go see what Hobby Lobby and Michael's has. Yep. As well as Hallmark, maybe, at the uh, mall. <laughs> maybe, maybe, if we're lucky. Maybe, meaning yes. <laughs> Last week, I talked about the Renaissance Festivals, or the Renaissance Fairs, or Ren Fens, or Ren Fairs, as they are talked about. But this, not, never Fen Rens. <laughs> but never Fen Rens. But this week, I will be talking about Scottish Highland Festivals. I went to my first Scottish Highland Festival, maybe two of them, when I was a young lad <laughs> when I was a young young lad when you were even, a wee one when I was a wee no, one a wee lad in the spirit of things <laughs> that's right when I was in Ohio and then I think again in Pennsylvania when I say Scottish Highland Festivals what do you guys think of? kilts lots of fun kilts yeah so uh, I think of a lot of very large men doing a lot of games that Involve throwing and lifting <laughs> yes. very large objects. Yes. Yep. Tree trunks, okay. rocks, you know. <laughs> yeah, whatever they decide to Scottish, throw Whatever around. Scottish people can find to throw. <laughs> I'm surprised there's not sheep throwing. <laughs> Maybe there was. Maybe there was. That's what it started out as. Don't they claim to have invented golf? Yes. Yeah. Well, yes. They, didn't. Not, they not, did invent they, golf. Yes. They did invent yes. golf, but that was a but they did claim to invent a lot of other things yes. in addition to golf. Yes. But golf, actually, they can verify their claim. But, Sydney, what do you think of when you think of Highland festivals? I think of kind of like what Cole said, lots of people playing games. I also think of different booths with different people and talking with them about their heritage, different Scottish items for sale. And I remember... And one particular Scottish Highland game, there was a bunch of um, Scottish terriers. Little Scotty dogs. Yeah, yeah. and they were puppies. puppies. And they were black, and there were about eight of them in like this little big crate. And every time you moved around the crate, oh, they would all like herd with you. <laughs> it was like so a little enclosure, yeah. like a mm-hmm. baby gate yeah. enclosed kind of thing. It was so cute. They, they were, were so, so cute. cute. Yeah, I remember a lot of different clan-based booths yep. yes That's like right. they had they would have a booth for their clan which is interesting because we were in scotland they were uh they were always like shirts and scarves and stuff yep that they had the, the clan colors on them. that's right yep. so highland games are usually weekend events taking place in outdoor spaces across the country they're built around traditional highland sports such as the caber toss and i'll talk a little bit about these games here in a moment the tug of war the hammer throw uh, the Highland Games also include Highland dancing and music, 
and lots of family fun, such as food and craft areas and games. Many events also involve livestock events, like uh, sheep herding, like you could see yep. the, the dogs practicing their trade, parades, and even best-dressed pet competitions. Some Highland games continue into the night with music gigs and more dancing and even discos. Okay, that doesn't sound very I know, it's funny. Scotland invented discos. Yeah, they may have. When Scots emigrated to other lands, they took the traditions with them because those traditions were so popular. They've taken place in America since 1836, but they also run in other countries such as Canada, Norway, New Zealand, and Brazil. So a brief history of the games. So the first historical reference to the type of events held at typical Highland Games was during the time of King Malcolm III when he summoned men to race up Krag Chonich with the aim of finding the fastest runner in Scotland to be his royal messenger. They were also thought to have originally been events where the strongest and bravest soldiers in Scotland would be tested. The gatherings were not only about trials of strength, but they also back then had musicians and dancers who were encouraged to reveal their skills and talents and to be um, a credit to the clan that they represented. So it was a multi-clan event. Mm -hmm. So the series game in Fife, which began in 1314, is thought to be the oldest continuous Highland game in Scotland. So starting in 1314. And then I'll talk a little bit about, they all had a break when they were forced to. The series Highland games are held in honor of the brave men of series who fought at... Bannockburn. The Battle of Bannockburn on 24 June 1314 was a major Scottish victory against the English in the First War of Scottish Independence. That's interesting. That's actually one of those battles that might be a little more recognizable to the the name Bannockburn. Mm -hmm. The Cowl, C-O-W-A-L, Highland Gathering, which is held in Dunan, or Danoon, 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 uh, each year in August, is the largest Highland Games in the world. The Bramer Gathering is often thought to be the best-known games and traces its origins to the games held by King Malcolm III. So these events in Scotland are mirrored around the world, as I mentioned, and specifically they brought, were brought over to North Carolina in the 1800s to Grandfather Mountain Highland Games. But going back to the history... So in, 17, in England, in 1746, the Prescription Acts were passed, which were a deliberate attempt by British to dismantle the Scottish Highland life, culture, society, and destroy the clan system. Oh my gosh. Yeah. So during that period, uh, Highland Games were not well attended. <laughs> <laughs> Nobody was in a gaming mood. Everybody was in a fighting That's right. mood. That's right. So the laws were finally repealed. On July 1st, 1782. So wait, what? how long did that take? It was about 40 years. 40? Yep. Oh my gosh. And the games only really started to develop again in the 18th and 19th centuries because of a brutal process of evictions that had taken place against the Gaelic culture in the Highlands. So that, that act outlawed Scottish dress, Scottish customs, and any gatherings. So obviously that would include Highland games. Wait. Any gatherings, just like of Scottish people. That's exactly right. Yeah, that is just awful. And did they did they know who they were dealing with? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, it worked for a while. <laughs> After its repeal, the games started to revive, and the fortunes of the national customs were given a tremendous boost with a visit to Scotland in 1822 of George 
the fourth. This event is commemorated to this day in two famous Edinburgh landmarks, George Street and George IV Bridge. So a little bit more about the events themselves. So um, here I'm going to list a few of the typical events. So there is typically a torchlight ceremony. This is called the calling of the clans. It's a ceremony that long ago was used to call the clans to battle. Each clan brings its torch to announce itself as being present at the games and adds its own torch to a large bonfire in the center. And typically, obviously, the ceremony takes place after sundown, so that fire is more impressive and includes music and piping. So Ooh. yes, bagpipes are involved throughout the event. There's also the Parade of the Tartans. The final day of the games begins with a worship ceremony that includes the Kirken of the Tartans ceremony, and then the Parade of Tartans begins. That parade includes every clan attending the games, and then its most important members are included in the parade, and they parade along the track, along with several piping bands. This is one of my favorite memories of all the games, is the big ceremony when all the clans come together and pipe together. I don't think marching. I've seen that. Yeah, it's really impressive. I don't remember seeing that. Mm -hmm. yeah. It's really cool. And then they blow up a castle. <laughs> no. <laughs> you know, some because they're Scottish. Things that are quintessentially Scottish. <laughs> That's right. There's obviously piping and drumming competitions. A lot of uh, piping and drumming competitions, which are very fun if you like bagpipe music. <laughs> if you don't, not as fun. Yeah. <laughs> but there is quite a bit of that. There's dancing. Obviously, there's uh, traditional Highland dancing competitions that take place. And then there are the games. So besides the traditional track sports, which are included in, in the bigger games, uh, one of the best parts about the games is that people of all ages and skills can participate. Typically, competitions include a hammer throw, a weight toss of some sort, turning the caber, turning the sheaf, highland wrestling, a kilted mile run. <laughs> and I don't think I've ever seen that one. And then clan tug of war. So tossing the caber... This event has changed little since its inception. This is the one, I think this is the game I remember the most. Yeah. Because I remember multiple people going through. Yeah. So cabers are tapered logs and can vary in length and weight, but usually are around 150 pounds and up to 17 feet long. So the object is to toss the caber directly ahead, landing it on the heavy end, so that the light end makes a perfect turn over away from you and lands directly in line away from the thrower. And then the points are awarded for how straight the caber falls with any deviation detracting points. Because I always wondered what the points were for. Yeah. Yeah, because yeah. it's not distance or anything like that. It's just the straightness of the caber. If it makes from, the mark. That's, well, it's got to go over, but then it has to land in the same path that you're in. That's interesting because if I remember correctly, the fact that distance is not an issue did not keep those Scottish men from throwing yeah. it as far as they could. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, they tossed because their that fingers. was it went way up in the air and yeah. flipped over and yeah. There's also throwing the 56 pound weight over the bar. Yeah, yep, I remember mm -hmm. that. In early games, large stones, as Cole mentioned, were thrown over a pole or rope, and the height increased until a winner remained. There's putting the shot, which is hilarious. This is the one where co competitors are required to throw large boulders as far as possible. Yep, I remember that one. <laughs> Needless to say, no two boulders are alike, so some of the su success boasted did not quite match up to others. 
Nowadays, the weight is standardized to 16 pounds and 22 pounds. There's throwing the hammer, which uh, since a blacksmith's forge was to be found in almost every glen, it's not surprising that one of the pastimes was throwing the hammer. So these days, the throwing style is strictly controlled. So there is no turning allowed in throwing the hammer. The thrower grasps the handle and swings the hammer three or four times around his head before releasing it behind him. While the spectators are quite safe, the occasional straying hammer can be a hazard for judges <laughs> and game officials. <laughs> so is it, I wonder if it's on a string of some kind if they're whirling it. The hammer, I believe when I saw pictures of the current hammer, is like a large weight at the end of a, like a pole. So you're just you're okay. Swinging, you're swinging the yeah, I think. I just always think of Thor when you know. I think yeah, of the I'm sure they think themselves as Thor too. Um, <laughs> there's throwing weight for distance. So throwing the weight for distance is done with a ball and chain, no more than 18 inches long, with a handle attached. That's different than the throwing the hammer. Hammer, I think, is a fixed. Uh, device that's not like doesn't have a chain to it. Yeah, the throwing the weight for distance does. Honestly, there's so many Scottish throwing heavy things that <laughs> it can be hard to keep track of them all. Uh, the thrower must only use one hand and has nine feet behind the marker to make three full turns before releasing the handle and hurling the weight forward for distance. Competitors in general are disqualified if they unbalance themselves when throwing and step or fall over any of the devices. Yeah, that would be not good. There's also, um, in the bigger events, a uh, traditional marathon, a 26-mile long race. There's also a five-mile foot race in some cases. Now, my experience with these games is that there's a lot of music. There's not just bagpipe music. There's people playing harps and fiddles, and um, you know, there's just a lot of different Gaelic groups mm -hmm. that come together to play and try to sell their um, CDs and things like that. I think I've actually bought a CD or two from different Gaelic groups that I don't listen to. <laughs> <laughs> There's also a lot of good food and vendors at the games uh, selling traditional dishes like haggis, brideys, fish and chips. They could be selling shepherd's pie, honey, and a lot of different traditional Scottish things. And then, as you guys mentioned, there are typically clan tents where you can go talk to a group about their clan, you know, their relationship to clans. And often they'll have the name, like the kind of your ancestry diagram of the clans and the events uh, of the clans if you go talk to them. So some of those castles that we saw that were, you know, there was one clan, didn't want the other one to get it. So they blew up the one, you know, we could go <laughs> talk to each side of the clan, you know, the tents and get the scoop. <laughs> along the way so so i really enjoy uh scottish highland games when i looked at the list of them that are associated with the official scottish highland games association in the united states there's a lot there's several in in several states not every state has one though near us there are some in virginia but also um, some near my dad in pennsylvania the Ligonier one, I think, is the last one we went to mm -hmm. with the Andersons. Right. They are actually connected to Scotland. Right. Via Eric's um, family. Right. Eric Anderson's right. ancestors. So he got to go to the clan booth that was his ancestry connection. Right. So that's always fun to be able to do that sort of thing. That's the fun of Scottish Highland Games. Yay. Very How fun. fun. Yes. Very fun. I if think only there were... Uh, 
German lowland games or something so that we could go and have fun with our heritage. <laughs> I always think of shortbread. That's another thing that I think of with Scottish culture, Scottish yeah. Highland games. Yeah, shortbread, yep. Yep. Uh, we enjoyed a lot of Scottish food when we were in Scotland. Yes. Yeah, three of us three of us tried the, the haggis, which when Dad said I uh, Mom made a face. Yeah, I tasted a little tiny piece of it. It was good. It was sort of spiced and it tasted like a more sp- like a like a, a more colorful meatloaf. Right, but what? Well, but it wasn't sweet. No. No. Now, mom really enjoyed the whiskey laced gravy. <laughs> <laughs> also known as whiskey sauce, which <laughs> she did not... didn't realize was whiskey sauce. Right, I thought it was just gravy. That was great. It was so good. I was like, this gravy is so delicious. And I kept pouring it on the this little thing of mashed potatoes, and then realized. Only later, when the waiter said something about the whiskey sauce, that it was actually not gravy, the way I was thinking it was. So that's when, by then, your speech was slurred. No, and... <laughs> she figured it out when she fell out of the chair. Can I have a bottle of that to go? <laughs> it was really good. It was really good. All the food was really good. Um, you know, the fish and chips. It would be interesting now that we've been to Scotland to go to our games and think about that kind of sense of fish and chips being the best everywhere. Like, I wonder how many places there would, at a Highland Games would say, ours is the best fish and chips. Sure, that's right. the way they do. That's what happens. They all say this. the They're best. They're award-winning fish and chips. <laughs> that's right. Yeah. So to give context for that, we may have mentioned it before, because I think we've talked about Scotland before on this podcast, but everywhere that we went, every little restaurant that we went to claimed to have yeah. the best fish and chips in Scotland. Yeah. yeah. The award-winning. The award-winning best fish and chips. I think the best fish and chips that we had was one of those few places that didn't say they had the best. It was uh, in the Highlands. It was in the Highlands. Yeah. Yeah. It was a really nice restaurant. It, it was, was kind of, uh, I remember the lights were like a little more dim. It was sort of, yeah, yeah it was a really nice place. Um, but those were, those were some great. That's where we went chips. right before the, um, the theater show that we went to. Uh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Whiskey, the water of life. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> whiskey kisses is what it yeah, was Yeah, whiskey kisses. The water of life. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Hilarious. That was great. Was. Um, that, was, that was a very fun, that was a very exciting experience. Um, that was Sydney my first time out of the country. Uh, I think, was it Germany or Greece and Italy for you guys next? It was Germany, wasn't it? No, No. we went to Greece and Italy next. You went to Greece and Italy next. Right. And then we went to Germany after that. That's right. Not all on one trip. Three different years, right? Yep. Yeah, three different years. Yeah, yeah, of course. I mean, we're not talking about Epcot, where we visit so many countries (laughs) at once. So many countries all at once. (laughs) But you guys were only in Rome uh, for a day. Two days. For two days, days. that's right. But you got to see all the cool... Like old Roman, yeah, several of the stuff, Roman, a lot areas. of the old yeah. sort of Colosseum, the Colosseum, a lot of the old amazing. like festival grounds and stuff. And the Romans would have the festivals, you know, all throughout the streets, as well as these big buildings Iconic that were set thing. aside for them. Was it was it Rome that we sat and ate in front of the Pantheon? Yes, that was amazing. It was. There was a restaurant, and we sat outside and ate right in front of Pantheon. It was amazing. And the Pantheon is now a Christian church. Which but is, but it still has the hole in the center of the building where they would worship the sun and the stars through from the, you know, when there was a Roman temple. Um, so when it rains on a church day, they get wet in that course. circle. Yep. So, so they move the chairs away from that circle. The, it's a big circle. Well, the columns 
Do you remember? Oh, They're yeah. huge. Yeah, we tried to... I tried to reach around it, and I don't think I made it halfway. No, no, no. It was like I mean, a, maybe a quarter of the way. They were, yeah, they, they were, were so huge. You have, you have a really short wingspan, though. Oh, yeah, that's <laughs> in, in fairness, you have a very short wingspan. <laughs> um, Nevertheless, still no, it was they were huge. It was really cool, yeah. Yeah. I would love to go and, and see Rome, and, well, just... I don't think I've met anyone who, like, if you ask them, would you want to go to Italy, they'd be like, no, I'm going to pass on Italy. (laughs) Right, yeah. Um, I've actually, I've talked to people who have said that about France, but never about Italy, which I think is funny. But yeah, I'm talking about the month of September, and even the name September comes from the Latin, from Rome, and that comes from the word septum. Which means seven. So it's uh, well. That's funny because this is the ninth month. Of this is the ninth. Well, it wasn't to the, it wasn't to the Romans. <laughs> Boy, they couldn't count. <laughs> We're saying you can't count on the Romans. But um, so September's the ninth month, as we just you know established in the Julian and Gregorian calendars. Uh, so in the northern hemisphere, September is the seasonal equivalent of March in the southern hemisphere. Um, okay. So that's just fun. Geographic. That's yeah. how orbits knowledge. go. That's how orbits work. Yeah, that's not. If, Thank you for including some rocket sh- science. Yeah, if you're shocked <laughs> by that, then you have a lot of other things sort of right. to worry about. But yeah, like I said, September from the Latin septum was originally the seventh of ten months uh, in the oldest known Roman calendar, which is from 750 BCE. So in honor of coming up with September in in a few weeks. I'm going to take a look at the ancient Roman festival for September called Ludi Romani. When you say Ludi Romani, it makes me think of Luffy. Luffy? Luffy. Luffy. Fanciful flannel. You have to. From uh, VeggieTales. You have to go check out our St. Patrick's Day episode to get that reference. <laughs> to learn more about Luffy. Maybe we should start doing that in our podcast. Always mention something from a previous podcast. <laughs> so you have to go, yep. So it's the oldest and most famous of the public games, the Roman games, which was originally vowed in honor of Jupiter, whose temple was dedicated in September of 509 BCE. Uh, This temple was called the Jupiter Optimus Maximus. Really? Yep. Oh, Not Jupiter Optimus Primus. (laughs) Not a Transformer related. No, not a Transformer, but I can't help it when I see Optimus. (laughs) Uh, But think about that. Um, And they would remain the only public games in Rome for the next 300 or so years. Well, that's interesting. I know, because you always think of the games when you think of Rome. Well, at least I do. However, Dionysus of Halicarnassus and Cicero date them to the Roman victory over the Latins at Lake Regillus during the early Republic which was 496 BCE, which is later than the dedication of the temple. Oh. Uh, which is interesting. So, like a lot of things in history, there is some controversy as far as dates go, but that's actually pretty close, given uh, the context of just how long ago this was happening. Either way, the festival was in honor of Jupiter, and at first it only lasted a single day and didn't occur every year, but by... 190 to 170 BCE, they were lasting up to 10 days. And Cicero says later (laughs) that... That's quite a difference. It is. It it lasted many days past this point. Yeah. So there's some reference to, like, some people say, oh, it lasted 40 days at one point. Mm -hmm. Or, like, it was split up between, like, there would be 
festival time and then some not festival time and then more festival time. <laughs> Romans fun. like to party. Romans like their festivals a lot. It feels cheap, like you should have almost called that a different festival at that point, rather than just dragging out. Right, like, Oh, yeah. nope, it's the same festival. Right. <laughs> Again, round two. But it was the first Roman festival to feature major drama as a part of the festivities. So, And that was based off of the Greek form of drama. Which is interesting because, again, when you think of festivities in Rome, you might not necessarily think of drama right away. But right, they would yeah. have had these kind of performances at this festival, which is pretty cool. But the actual Ludi Romani consisted of, first, a solemn procession. That doesn't sound very festive. No, it sounds very solemn, actually. <laughs> mm-hmm. But that's funny because that's kind of like, like you said, with the torch lighting ceremony. Right. It's kind of maybe not as solemn for the Scots as it was for the, the Romans. But, again, you start with the ceremony and then you can have fun afterwards. They would have a chariot race with a driver and a warrior. Oh, okay. Yep, and... Like to battle each other as they go? Presumably. <laughs> I don't know why else why you else have, have a warrior. Or right? a warrior. It was kinda, it's kind of in character for the Romans yeah. to be battling each other while you're going. But then the, the end of the race would involve leaping out and running on foot for the rest of it. Oh, okay. Like point. a two-part. So it's kind of like a biathlon. Yeah. A right. old Roman biathlon. <laughs> with, with a driver and a warrior. Yeah. Yeah, I wonder if the driver and warrior run together. For the second part, right? Well, if he's jumping may- off, I would guess the driver would not jump. Or maybe off it's it's the chariot. It's the warrior that's jumping right. off, and then he has to run, like say in armor or something. I was like picturing that. more like a three-legged race where they're legs are tied together. Does it say that? It does. It doesn't. No. It doesn't say it. They didn't. I'll say that. That's a healthy way to look at history. <laughs> yeah. It doesn't say they didn't. Uh, that's like Hollywood's way of looking at right. history. Right. Like, look at ancient, uh, ancient India. It didn't say that bagpipes weren't invented in India. <laughs> so there were, there were a lot of, of course, a lot of different kinds of events. There was horsemanship, boxing, dancing, wrestling, and in the, again, in the Greek style, winners would receive a laurel wreath. Okay, so the Romans were imitating the Greeks. The Romans, a lot of what the Romans yes, did. Yes, they did. Imitated the Greeks. <laughs> yes. Including just taking their gods. Right. And, and renaming, renaming them. Yep. Yep. They came up with some stuff on their own. Uh, but. <laughs> not a lot. <laughs> their letters are different. They really enjoyed the Greek culture. Yeah. They so, did. Uh, yeah. Which occurred again during the Renaissance when it was the revival of the old uh, Greek forms of art and entertainment. So it was actually not super easy to find stuff on Ludi Romani because it is the earliest form of Roman festival. But the, the Ludi is actually kind of translated as festival or or holiday. So I'm wondering, did they have like a Ludi Romani theme song? Um, I'm sure they had plenty of songs during this time. Well, it doesn't say they didn't. It doesn't right? say they didn't. <laughs> but <laughs> as we established, how about a Ludi Romani mascot? It was probably the Emperor. Maybe? <laughs> oh, yeah, that's not a very good mascot. Oh, no, Jupiter. <laughs> Jupiter. Yeah, Jupiter would have been the Ludi Romani mascot. There you they go. probably didn't have like caricatured versions of Probably him. not, yeah. yeah. But it's interesting when you were listing what happened at that festival. How that is like almost the same thing that happened at the Highland Games, right? You had music, you had 
like games, games yeah, crafters, dancers. Yeah, dancers. <laughs> it's funny. Um, I'm not sure there was drama at the, the Highland Games. What's there? Oh, What's there, there was drama. <laughs> oh, right. there was drama. <laughs> not, not the entertain. Not. How would you even put that? Not the drama, place. like not you, theater. Yeah, not theater. Um, like you see one of the uh, clans' tents on fire or something. <laughs> <Another> clan. <laughs> Clans, clans standing there with their arms folded and clans like just looks. start attacking each other. Castles blowing up. Tents blowing up. Tents blowing up. Uh, large men throwing rocks at each other. <laughs> throwing 22, 30 pound rocks at each other. But yeah, that always happened during September, which is interesting because some of these older festivals would bounce around in what months they would take place. It's interesting, a lot of the uh, festivals in fall throughout history are the more concrete ones because they're all relating to sort of harvest festivals. Right. Earlier in the year, you see a lot of different dates for different holidays. Yeah. Yeah, the interesting thing about the Renaissance Festival and the Highland Games are they actually take place spring, summer, and fall, mm-hmm. depending on the area. So they're, they're, it's not set in a given month. I just think of them as fall because it's nice weather and it's more fun to do things outside for us. Right. So we typically have gone more in temperate. fall. You know, we don't really have a set festival because some of our festivals like Halloween and such, you could kind of trace back all the way to the Roman times. Yeah. But we really don't have one that traces back to this. Right. So what you're saying is that we should start a Ludi Romani <laughs> yes. festival. Yes. I'm, I'm sure that some people would be on board for a Roman festival. I'm sure there's some kind of like Ren Fair style thing. Maybe. That's kind of set in Rome. Because as I was going through this, there were a couple of different sources that said they did, like, reenactments of Roman festivals and that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. Um, But I don't know how participatory they are as far as you jumping in the chariot armed (laughs) or driving. (laughs) Right. Or the three-legged race afterwards. Or the three-legged race afterwards. (laughs) Um, But yeah, that's a September thing. And I also thought that... I would share some interesting things that happened in September throughout history. Okay. Obviously, it's one of 12 months, and history has been going on for a while. So a lot more happened in September throughout history than what I have listed here. But these are just some interesting things. And starting again with the Romans, on September 2nd in 31 BCE, the Roman legions under Augustus Caesar defeated Mark Antony's naval force at Actium. It's interesting. There's actually a typo on the website that I got this. It says Mark Anthony. (laughs) (laughs) What? That would have been a very different... (laughs) Would have been singing the whole time. But that event led to the death of Cleopatra. That's true. Cleopatra, who was not actually Egyptian. No. Common to popular media. She was actually Macedonian. Well, I just found out today that King Richard the Lionhearted was not actually English. Yeah. He was French. He was French. <laughs> I did not know that. <laughs> I was like, what? <laughs> did you think of him as a big English, like... Yeah, he didn't even speak English. No, yeah. <laughs> a lot of monarchs, like, England had, like, monarchs that only spoke Dutch and yeah. other things like That'll that. That'll teach me from learning history from Hollywood movies. Right. <laughs> or cartoons. And the next thing that I have on here is... Um, September 28th, 1066, was the Norman conquest of England, uh, which began with Duke William of Normandy, which is William the Conqueror. Uh, so contrary he, to popular belief, this is not like an army of people named Norman. 
Well, I don't think that's a popular can you, can you imagine the chain of, how confusing the chain of command was? Norman? Moose? <laughs> I'm looking for Norman of Pevensey. <laughs> well, there's like five of us. So. Oh, um, with the red hair, the brown hair, the white hair? <laughs> the old one. Norman the old. Um, so, yeah, that was when William the Conqueror landed at Pevensey in Sussex. Then September 8th, 1565, was the first Catholic settlement in America, which was founded by the Spaniard Don Pedro Menendez in... Does anyone want to take a guess? In Florida. In Florida, yep. Do you want to take a guess at where in Florida? St. Augustine? Yep. In Florida. In Florida. They were looking for the Fountain of Youth. Did you just know that, or mm-hmm. was that just... Um, no, I totally knew that. You're... A uh, Spaniard Don Pedro Menendez <laughs> aficionado. Fanboy. Fanboy. <laughs> I've got the, shirt. <laughs> got the shirt. Wait a second. Minimize that on your laptop. I bet it's a big picture of him there. He's my background screen. Um, then the next one's fun because, again, it relates to something that we talked about before. Uh, it's a birthday, 1774, American folk legend Johnny Appleseed, born in Leominster, Massachusetts. And he was the one that traveled through Ohio, Indiana, Illinois, planting orchards. So that's a fun sort of callback there. And then he Pember- also invented that blessing song. That's right. <laughs> it's a very, it's a very catchy song. It, it is, is very, very song. difficult you, to get out of your head. Oh my gosh! Because <laughs> it's stuck in your head. Yeah. Now? <laughs> oh, the Lord's been good to me, and so I thank the Lord for giving me the things I need: the sun and the rain and the apple seed. Oh, the Lord's been Good to me. Wow. Now, that's going to stay in my head for a long time. Yes, but it was your fault. I know. I brought brought this on myself. So September 7th, 1822, Brazil declared its independence from Portugal after 322 years as a colony. Hmm. So I was a colony for a long time. I actually thought it was interesting because 1822 popped up as a year on one of your sheets. Uh, which was, I believe, the revival of the Scottish Highland Games. Right, that's when uh, King George visited Scotland. Right, so coincidence? Yes. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) I will say that does answer why... You did say that they occurred in Brazil. (laughs) That's true. That does answer why they speak Portuguese in Brazil. Right. (laughs) I wonder. September 22nd, 1862... Abraham Lincoln issued the Preliminary Emancipation Proclamation, freeing the slaves from territories held by the Confederates as of January 1st, 1863. Yeah, that was the effective date. That was the effective date. September 19th, 1893, New Zealand became the first country to grant women the right to vote. Very ahead of the curve there. Yeah, really. So good for New Zealand. That's right. Shout out New Zealand. Shout out to New Zealand. Uh, And then finally, September 12th, 1990, jumping 100 years in the future, was the treaty signed by East and West Germany and the Allies of World War II, allowing for the restoration of a reunified Germany. And since then, only good things have happened in September. (laughs) Oh, nice. Very nice. Very nice. That's fun. It makes me think of... Happy fall thoughts when you when you bring up September. September. Yeah. Things like Yeah, not like lemonade, which had like a tragic past, or or ice sweet iced tea that which had a also had a tragic past, but we told you not to talk about it. <laughs> <laughs> Apparently I have yes. 
I have um, so, censoring here on my <laughs> topics. So what do you think of when you think of September? I think it's supposed to be cool. I think of sweaters and boots and scarves. And fall. Fall begins. Fall leaves and all kinds of wonderful, cozy, happy things. I think so, too. I think of... The Roman festival of Ludi <laughs> Well, that is incredibly specific. It is. But I always think of it. <laughs> Crazy me. A modern way to kick off the fall season is to enjoy a pumpkin spice latte. What? Yes. Hashtag PSL. <laughs> <laughs> so for those who may not know, the pumpkin spice latte is a coffee drink made with a mix of traditional fall spice flavors such as cinnamon nutmeg and clove steamed milk espresso and often sugar topped with whipped cream and pumpkin pie spice don't forget the love and love (laughs) (laughs) yes so and goodness is a modern social media phenomenon yep and it has just I've talked to very few people who feel indifferent about it. A lot of people really like it, and a lot of people really hate it. You are a proponent of it. I am. But it didn't start out that way. Oh. oh. Interesting. Tell us. There's a story. There is. My pumpkin spice latte journey. (laughs) (laughs) Hashtag PSL journey. (laughs) Hashtag PSL. Hashtag love it. So, I am not a big fan of the taste of coffee. However, I love the smell of it. Yeah, me too. Me too. It's just very warming and com- brings memories of comfy, cozy days. And I don't know. It's just, it's very happy scent. However, I felt a little left out with the pumpkin spice latte. And the big hype that it had around the fall season. Pumpkin spice lattes are some people's kickoff to the fall season. It started developing in January 2003 following the successful introduction of other winter seasonal drinks at Starbucks, such as the peppermint mocha and the eggnog latte. I love the peppermint mocha. Wait, wait, no. I like the peppermint hot chocolate. You do. I've tried the peppermint mocha and that still has coffee in it. Yes, I don't like the coffee taste. Yes, although it smells amazing. According to Peter Dukes, the Starbucks director of Espresso Americas, Developers tested 10 products with consumers, with the pumpkin spice latte coming out in the middle of the group after chocolate and caramel flavors. So apparently what happened was they they had tried to develop all kinds of drinks for the fall season. They tried all kinds of drinks. They were taste testing days on end. And finally, they pulled out this pumpkin drink. They didn't name it. They hadn't named it yet. And they said, okay, this is the one that we're thinking is most likely going to work. So they tried it out in two different locations. One, I think, was in Washington, D.C., and I forget what the other, where the other location was. But they said, by far, that was a huge success in those two locations. So they were finally able to say, yes, we got it. We have a new drink for the fall. Yay! Everybody loves it. <laughs> Good for us. The storyline makes me think of a Hallmark show. It does, doesn't it? Somebody hasn't done this one. Because it sounds similar to like the perfume Hallmark it does. movie that we've, we've seen. In, f- in fact, it wasn't the fall time frame when they were taste testing these drinks. 
So in sense. order to bring in a fall feeling while they were taste testing these drinks, they brought in fall decorations into the store. Oh my goodness, into so the funny. lab where they were at. That's Again, funny. this is according um, just so, to the sources that I read, just to have that fall feeling. So it was kind of like a Hallmark show. So yeah. instead of Christmas in July, it was like fall in May or something like that, or, something or whenever like that. they, yeah, whenever exactly. they taste tested it. That's yeah, fun. fun. So that was very, um, I think forward thinking of them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Very Hallmark channel-y as well. Was, <laughs> I think we're seeing a missed opportunity here. You say they channeled Hallmark. That's right. That's uh-huh. right. Yeah. <laughs> and then this says, um, developers realized that there was something special about the pumpkin flavor, especially since there wasn't anything around anything pumpkin drink related at the time. Again, this is 2003. In the fall of 2003, the final recipe, oh, it was Vancouver. That was the other place. And um, everybody loved it. Vancouver, also very hallmarky. Yeah, true. <laughs> so the company said that the pumpkin spice latte was Starbucks' most popular seasonal beverage with more than 200 million sold between 2003 introduction and 2015. Um, and that was just the one Instagrammer. <laughs> <laughs> There's so many pictures. <laughs> <laughs> so I I looked up what, you know, why it's so popular right now. You know, and, and with the hashtags and with different people, you know, on social media sharing well, and their it's PSL. On, it's on uh, t-shirts now. It's on decorations for the fall. It is. Like it it's really unique... been included in a lot of things. Yeah, into the, like the culture. Yes. So well, it's and a lot of people call it sort of like a basic thing. But as part of their branding, they've sort of embraced that. Yes. And made it so a lot of shirts will have, like, a picture of a pumpkin spice latte and will just say, like, basic yeah. on them. Yeah. I found another one, which I, I'm thinking so about getting. it's a lot of very smart branding by yes. Starbucks. Yes. And I'm thinking about getting it, but uh, on Etsy I saw a shirt that said, uh, my blood type is pumpkin spice. Yeah. <laughs> so that was really funny. But um, in this article, why, why the World Went Wild for Pumpkin Spice, um, according to BuzzFeed, the name has something to it. They were originally thinking about maybe like a fall harvest latte as the name, but they ended up going with the Pumpkin Spice latte. So regarding marketing, just like you were saying, Cole, they say the drink's success is because of two factors, seasonality and nostalgia. Mm-hmm. Right, so you can only get the pumpkin spice latte in the fall season. And there, there's another article that talks about how soon or how late the pumpkin spice latte has had a early release and an official launch. So generally it has an early release in August and an official release in September. That's Last fun. year, 2018, they had an August 28th early release which I think was the second or third time it was released that early in August. Um, they had that same release date, I think, from 2013. And I think in August 2014, they had an August 26th early release. So generally, late August, early September time frame is when these drinks are out. And then the nostalgia comes from the ingredients. So the cinnamon, nutmeg, clove... Different articles described it as Thanksgiving in a mug. Yep. Where you're smelling and taking in all the smells, remembering all your fun family memories, and and just all kinds of fun. Because the smell is like pumpkin pie? Yeah. 
Yes. So they're leveraging or, our childhoods against us. <laughs> or for us, yeah. Yeah, so it's the pumpkin pie, it's the pumpkin bread, it's mm-hmm. the... Yeah, all the pumpkin surrounding yep. these sorts of things, right? Yep. It didn't originally contain pumpkin until 2015. And since 2015, it has also contained a small amount of pumpkin puree. Oh, that's, that's interesting. interesting. Yeah, so it didn't uh-huh. originally have do you, that. Do you know why they added it? I think eventually they realized that it would be important, since their drink is called pumpkin spice latte, to have some sort of pumpkin in it. That's interesting, because it is pumpkin spice. Mm-hmm. It's, it's you know, what you would use on, like, a pumpkin pie. Yeah, the spices of pumpkin the spices pie. Of pumpkin. But yeah. I guess for some people, you hear pumpkin spice, you think, oh, it has pumpkin in it. You want the legit. Yeah. So okay. maybe it's, like, a drop of pumpkin or something. I was going to say, it would be funny if they, like, just put in a little blob of puree. <laughs> 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 I thought you were going to say like a little square of like a pumpkin. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like a little pumpkin cube. Yeah. Well, they do have that syrup that goes in it. They've also marketed in a different way, right? So they have targeted men and women of ages 25 to 40 um, using contemporary designs and messaging. Well, I mean, or, those who like coffee. Older. Or older. <laughs> this or is just a older. general statement. Frankly, and younger too. Like you think well, of like high up. school. They're growing up with it. Generations right, are growing exactly. up with it. Yeah. Seeing their older who, older um, siblings have it. Well, and, right. well, the whole culture. Because right? it's such a social media phenomenon, and now this yeah. younger generation's growing up with social media. Right. Well, exactly. So they have used... <laughs> so Starbucks has their claws in. They do. Children of all ages. Yeah. <laughs> Both young and old. Um, yeah, so they have definitely used the social media to advertise. And it says that it really hit... The heyday in 2012 when the hashtag, hashtag PSL came out. Between August 2012 and January 2014, there were over 29,000 tweets with the hashtag, hashtag PSL. And in a single fall day, the use of PSL hashtag exceeded 12 million. (laughs) Wow. That's crazy. Yes. Apparently it's also easy to make, so it's not super hard on the employees and in fact um i saw a couple articles um with quotes from starbucks employees saying it's kind of a nice break from all the frappuccinos yeah, <laughs> of more, the summer yeah, they do more work with right whereas these are much more they're all standardized yeah so unless people ask the way i request my psl is i always request an extra shot of pumpkin because i'm not a huge coffee fan so I prefer more of a pumpkin flavor rather than the espresso flavor. But yeah, so it sounds pretty standard and easy for them to make. Is that a pumpkin syrup that you're asking for? Not the puree, right? Correct. So the pumpkin spice syrup. Right. Yes. So that, that's how the, the pumpkin spice latte is made. So however they put the puree in, I don't know. It might also be in the syrup. Okay, so this is what I was thinking. Okay. <laughs> this is scary. <laughs> I have tried your lattes, your pumpkin spice lattes, a number of times. Yes. I want to like them. Yes. And every time, I dislike coffee. I love the smell of it. I dislike coffee so much, I end up gagging. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I did. I never I never completed the circle of my... You did. Yourself. As soon as I'm Journey. done, you need to yes. finish that circle. So I was thinking, what do I like to drink? <laughs> it's like... Frappuccinos. So I'm thinking I could go ask for a vanilla bean frappuccino uh-huh. with the pumpkin spice syrup in it mm-hmm. and some pumpkin spice on top of the whipped cream. Yeah. 
pumpkin pie spice mm-hmm. um, cinnamon on top of the whipped cream. Yeah, you'll have to tell us how, what you think of it then. I am going to do that. that yeah. I'm excited because I always want to like that. Yes. And I just don't. No. In fact, I should have recorded her facial expression. In fact, I may have you try it again this fall just to record your facial expression because it is hilarious. It is The look just, of she, disgust yeah, at the coffee. She really wanted to yes. like it and she really doesn't. Beth yes. has a very expressive face too. <laughs> yeah. Especially when she doesn't like something. Like of horror. Yeah. Like she, and it smells so good. It smells so good. You know, and I always come home she's like oh, can I have a taste of it I'm like you're not gonna like it and you're like but I, I'm just gonna try it <laughs> and then she I, then I hear blah <laughs> yes very dramatic so I'm like so it's not it. just the face it's also the the sounds I come out like yeah. <laughs> so interpret it that as you will with her facial expressions imagine like a cat Vomiting up a hairball. No, no, no. no. But going, it's very similar to. The, I don't want to no. imagine that. The, uh, the gagging. No, but just to um, wrap up this review of the pumpkin spice latte. So my pumpkin spice journey. I also did not enjoy the drink, so I had to train myself on how on drinking it because I really, really, really wanted to drink it. So and when now you, you first, love it. Yeah. So when you first started drinking it, you did not like it. Correct. But, but I didn't hate it. And I didn't really dislike it. So I could tell that I could train myself to to change my behavior. Yes. So I had a friend who suggested adding another shot of pumpkin, of the pumpkin syrup to my pumpkin spice latte to see if that would help with the taste. And that really did to me. So now it is a fall treat for me. And others as well as myself eagerly await every fall for this drink to come out. And it is lovely and a great way to kick off the fall season, even if it is not cold outside, which is very sad. It is very sad, So you completely bought into the seasonal and nostalgic nature of their campaign. Yes. (laughs) Yes. By choice. By choice. Intentionally. Yes. See, when you first said I trained myself to like it, I thought, oh, maybe there's hope. No. And then you (laughs) said, but I didn't dislike it. And I went, oh. Yeah, no. (laughs) So... You have, uh, you are aware of the manipulation, and you are completely okay with it at this point. That is, yes. She's impressed. That is correct. Well, thank you for sharing about (laughs) PSL. Fun information about PSL. Hashtag PSL. Hashtag PSL journey. Hashtag PSL love it. As always, we end our podcast with our future festivities. This is for the week of August 19th, which is the week that Beth and I will be in Star Wars land and in uh, Disney area. And this is future festivities for the week of August 19th. August 19th is World Photo Day. August 20th is World Mosquito Day. Mosquito Day. The worst day. (laughs) Yeah, right. August 21st is National Spumani Day. August 22nd is National Tooth Fairy Day. August 23rd is Ride the Wind Day. Ride the Wind Bullseye. August 24th. No, that's Ride Like the Wind. Oh, yeah, that's right. <laughs> August 24th is Vesuvius Day. And August 25th is Kiss and Make Up Day. As always, you can follow us on social media at holiday underscore moons. On Instagram, at Holiday Moons, all one word. And you can find us on Facebook by searching Holiday Moons in the search bar. You can also contact us at any time at HolidayMoons at gmail.com. So for Beth, Randy, Cole, and Sydney, 
Happy Fall!